0: Before we begin our study tonight, would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah, amen. This weekend is Shabbat Shuva, a time dedicated to repentance and humbling ourselves before the Lord in preparation for Yom Kippur. And the Torah and Haftor portions in particular are very useful for reminding us of serious sins which have troubled Israel. And with that in mind, I want to think with you in a fresh way about the messages that Moses gives in the Torah portion and Hosea gives in the Haftor portion to Israel. And in a sense, Moses and Hosea could have put their messages together this way, starting like this. Well, we have good news and we have bad news. Here's the bad news. Your governmental leaders cannot save you. In fact, your religious leaders cannot save you. As a matter of fact, your great teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu cannot save you and you definitely can't save yourselves. And then I can imagine the people of Israel responding to that message with a loud oy vey, oh no. Or Moses and Hosea could have put it this way. Listen up everyone. We need to warn you about what's going to happen. You're going to think that your governmental leaders will be able to save you. And some of those governmental leaders will believe they can, but they can't. You're going to believe that your political parties will be able to save you. And some of your political parties will actually tell you they can save you, but they can't. You're going to believe that your religious teachers and your clergy will be able to save you. And some of them hope. They hope they can save you, but they can't. And you may even believe that you can save yourself, but you can't. In fact, you will fall into a deadly trap every time you look for salvation whenever you forget what we're about to tell you. I can imagine Moses and Hosea really being stirred up about the people's vulnerability during that time. And that's what stirred them to bring this message. No one can save you except God himself. And that's the essential message of Shabbat Shuvah. Don't forget it. The only one who can save you is God himself. Moses could have said it like this. I can't save you. My brother Aaron, the high priest can't save you. We are both sinners ourselves. The same thing with the king, a teacher, any priest, a prime minister, a president, none of them can save you. Don't put your hope for salvation in them. They cannot save you. And if you give them that place in your heart, it will cost you dearly. And I can see the people of Israel hearing these words and remembering them and then forgetting them. But it raises the question, what is the good news? If all those people can't save us, even if they think they can, what is the good news? The good news is simple, God can save us. God can save us. And so we have to stop looking for salvation from other quarters. That's the message of this week's Torah portion. It's an ancient message and it is a timely message as well. It's the message of Yom Kippur, it's the message of Yeshua, the Messiah. And I think Hosea said much the same in the Haftorah reading for this Shabbat Shuva. Let's actually read some of his words. If you have your Bibles, and you ought to because you're at home, you have access to them. For sure. Turn to Hosea chapter 14, and we'll look at the first few verses, which are, I think, profoundly interesting. The first verse starts this way. It's a proclamation to Israel. It's sort of a preaching and prophetic message rolled into one. And it says this, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. That is such an important idea that is central to Yom Kippur. What causes us to stumble? What causes us to have distance between us and the Lord? Our iniquity, the sins that we give into, the power of sin over us, the iniquity and transgressions which rule over us. What's the solution? We have to turn and return to the Lord. Verse two goes on and it says this, which in, in sort of a direct English translation is, is kind of um, interesting. It says, take words with you, take words with you. I think what that means is this, be ready to confess your sins and return to the Lord say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. And where it says take away all iniquity, the Hebrew is describing this very interesting image of iniquity being this heavy weight that we are carrying and that is oppressing us. And the actual request in Hebrew is lift it off of us. O God, lift off this iniquity and receive us graciously so that we may present the fruit of our lips. These are the words we wanna say. Now, the the whole thing shifts a little bit in verse three, and it begins to speak about what we are saying to the Lord. We've made our confession of of our sin. We've returned to the Lord. We're, We're pleading with him to lift off iniquity and to receive us with grace. We're ready to confess. And there are three things in verse three of Hosea that we confess. And I want to read this verse to you. And then I want to explain some details about it. It starts this way, Assyria will not save us. That's now our confession. We will not ride on horses. That's also our confession. And nor will we say again, our God to the work of our hands for it is only in you that the fatherless can find mercy. So that's the confession. It's a way of saying we look for salvation in all the wrong places. And now we humble ourselves before you, Lord. You're the only source of salvation. Assyria will not save us. You know what that that can mean in our day and age? We can understand it this way. Our political alliances will not save us. The next one, we won't ride on horses, or um, how can you put this? We won't ride on horses. Now this is not about uh, being an equestrian and having interest in horses. It's, It's a reference to Egypt. We won't be saved by depending on the world power of Egypt. Egypt was famous for their horses and chariots. And in fact, there was a time when the children of Israel were rejoicing and they said some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. This picture of horses conjured up something for Israel. It made Israel think about the horses of this great military power, Egypt, this great world power. They had horses and they had chariots. They were the equivalent, if you will, of uh, nuclear weapons of today or guided missiles and uh, strong weaponry of today. They were strong weapons. And so by extension, we could say, we will not ride on horses. What that means is, our military alliances won't save us. Now, these were not ideas. These were confessions that the people were making. Assyria won't save us. The horses of Egypt won't save us. And then this last confession of the three, nor will we say again, our God to the work of our hands. Now, that is not just about the worship of idols that people sculpt or create, but it's about what you could call self-achievement worship, the work of our hands. The things we have achieved, when they become the, the basis of our ultimate loyalty, we are most loyal to the things that we work hard on and achieve. And when we give esteem and honor to those things, it's a kind of idolatry that's being confessed here, where we attribute our own achievements to ourselves. And we drift away from our faith in God and our loyalty to Him. When we begin to say, I can save myself, or we say of others, they can save us, we are allowing them to take on the kind of authority and power that God reserves for Himself. It's a kind of idolatry. And it can move in a lot of different ways in our own situations. Now then Hosea changes and says something that I think is very interesting, but it's of a different type of statement. And after making these confessions that we're not going to turn to Assyria, we're not gonna turn to the horses of Egypt, we're not gonna trust in our own works of our own hands and our own achievements, The language shifts to this, for it is only in you, Lord, that the fatherless can find mercy. Another way of saying it is, for in you, Lord, the orphan finds mercy. In a sense, each person making that confession is saying, God, I have no one to look out for me. I have no one to save me. I have no mercy source apart from you. It's a kind of humility before God, and it's an expression of a desire for mercy. And I think it also is powerful when mercy is not widespread in a society, when people are looking for power to save themselves, and they're looking for the defeat of their enemies. The defeat of their enemies becomes the focus of their attention. That's a powerful, powerful proclamation that Hosea is giving, and it's one that's meant to stir us up in our day. To take the lessons of ancient Israel and to apply them to ourselves, what requires faith, requires confidence that the Word of God is forever, that in the ways that it applied to ancient Israel, it also applies to us, that we can take lessons for ourselves. That's what I want to encourage us to do. I want to shift over to another passage from Isaiah, and there are some wonderful Yom Kippur season readings in Isaiah that I, that I want to share with you, and I thank my wife, Sandy, who's such a great student of the Word, and she's been studying the Word All week, as she does every week. She spends several hours a day in study, and I just love the times that she and I have together to review the scriptures, to talk about the scriptures, to pray about them, and to receive guidance from the Lord through the scriptures so that we can know what to do and how to do it. And Isaiah chapter 57 is a powerful, powerful, passage, I want to start in verse 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every stumbling block out of the way of my people. That's a word of instruction that was being given to Israel, that it's time to do some work. It's time to to put effort into what's necessary. We have to make a way. And the first thing to, to do is to get rid of the obstacles, the stumbling blocks out of the way of my people. How do we do that? Well, verse 15 starts giving us instruction about how to do that. And it requires... It requires of us that we get God's perspective. Verse 15, for thus says the high and exalted one. Another translation has it this way. That says the high and lofty one who lives forever and inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is what he says. I dwell in a high and holy place but I also dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Oh, this is so interesting for us. Sandy, thank you for sharing this and for sharing also your notes, Sandy, about um, these terms and how important each one of these details is. The Lord who is so high seems to be so far away from us, but he's not, he's close with us. And who does he say he's close with? The contrite and the lowly of spirit. That's so interesting. It's not that you puff up your chest religiously, it's not that you try to make yourself into something so that you get God's attention. If you want God's attention, then pay attention to what he pays attention to. That's what he's talking about here. He pays attention to people when we're contrite, when we are repentant, when we have remorse and honesty, and when we're ready to turn away, even when we're broken inside, in a sense, when we're lowly of spirit, maybe we're ashamed of ourselves or disappointed in ourselves or even, in a sense, disgusted with our behavior, our failures, our our weaknesses. When you're in that condition, don't just cry your tears, but turn to God with contrition. Don't Don't just stick yourself in a never ending psychological guilt trip. Jews and Catholics are really good at guilt trips. And I wanna encourage you, don't get stuck in a guilt trip. And don't allow your psychological guilt to have the last word. Your sense of guilt psychologically, your sense of shame or disappointment is meant to elevate you when you're turning to God. It's not meant to leave you depressed or oppressed or or hopeless or filled with despair. It's meant to lift you up. How does it lift you up? It's interesting. You get God's attention when you're contrite. And when you have a lowly spirit with humility and he comes to dwell with you. This is part of the message of Yom Kippur. It's part of the message of the new covenant when we're honest with God. And when we talk to God in truthful ways even about the things that we are ashamed of. When we talk to him honestly with the intention of turning away from those things that have separated us from God and turning to Him. When we have the intention in our heart to begin to love Him, even though we are broken, even though we are failed, even though we have fallen, we cry out to God, save me. We don't allow ourselves to look for salvation in other places. We don't allow ourselves to become hopeless and to think I cannot be saved because you can be saved when you seek the Lord, when you turn to him. And it's not enough to just go through the motions or to do it one day or 24 hours or to do it during the um, days of awe. It's not enough just to do it for a moment. It has to be the heart cry that is the cry for a changed life and a changed being. I'll talk about that on Yom Kippur. But it is a cry to God of humility, not boastfulness, not expressing confidence. Well, I know the right things spiritually and religiously. No, it's a time to confess our sins. It's a time to be honest about our sins. Religious folk are really good we're really good at pointing out the sins of other people. And in fact, I used to think this was a particular vulnerability of religious people, but I don't think it is. I think human beings are really good at this. And I think regardless of what your political viewpoint or your religious point of view is, it's much easier to find fault with someone else. Yesterday, I was spending time with the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, what's, what's, what's my sin that I stumble in so easily? And he, he just pointed it out so clearly. I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've ever prayed to the Lord and say, show me what's wrong with me. When I do that, the Lord almost always answers that prayer by showing me what's wrong with me. And he showed me something. It's not the first time. I remember many times he showed this to me. But I could say to you, this is one of the things that I can stumble in. And he was just showing me yesterday when I was praying to him. He was saying, this is a problem for you. And here's here's what it is. There are times when I can compare the weakness of someone who's opposing me to my own strength. Or I can do it with my friends in a slightly different way. I'll compare some um, adversary's weakness to their strength. So I'll stand with my friends and I'll think about their strengths. Now, loyalty to our friends is good and having a sense of Love for yourself is also good in the right measure. But in my case, I remember very profoundly when the Lord spoke to me about this particular sin that I'm trying to describe to me. And it was was a time of prayer and fasting. It was a time of humility and contrition before the Lord. And I was really trying to be honest before the Lord. I sincerely was. But I didn't expect to hear what he spoke to my heart. He said to me, you are not just. And I thought, well, I love justice. I stand up for justice. I believe in justice. And the Lord said, no, you're not just. And so I stopped defending myself. This is a, a, a way that you can protect yourself. You can, you can hear something you don't want to hear, and you can explain that you're not that, or it's not true what's being said. But in humility and contrition, you don't do that. And so after this moment of self-defense, I stopped myself, and I said to the Lord, what do you mean I'm not just? And he showed me so clearly, he spoke it right into my heart. And he said, you compare your strength to those who are against you in their weakness. You don't compare their strength to your weakness or your weakness to their weakness or your strength to their strength. You compare your strength to their weakness. And that is not just. You are not just. That's what the Lord said to me. And yesterday, he wasn't saying to me, you're not just. He was saying that I have to wrestle with that. I have to constantly get my heart in that place. I want to be in a place where I'm just and allow mercy to triumph. And I'm not trying to defend myself before God. I wanna encourage you to recognize that it's a human problem to find fault with others at the very time when we need to examine ourselves. Yeshua put it like this. You try to remove the, the little splinter or speck in someone else's eye when there's a log in your own eye. It's true about us. Yeshua said it for all of us. So it's true about me. It's true about you too. It's true about all of us. It's true about conservatives and liberals. It's true about people I agree with and people I disagree with. It's true about my friends. It's true about my uh, opponents. It's true about us. We do this. At Yom Kippur, as we're getting ready and on this Shabbat Shuva, we need to acknowledge this before the Lord. And turn from this. That's part of what it means to be contrite. It's part of what it means to be humble. It's to stop accusing other people and stop finding fault with them and plead for mercy for them at the same time that we ourselves need mercy. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and and I love um, some of the notes that Sandy wrote. I even got a picture from her journal of some notes that she had, and she noted that revive is used two times in verse 15, and contrite is used two times, and humble is used two times, and then she had definitions for these key words, and I want to share these with you, because when you pay attention to this, when you, when you see what the promises of this passage in Isaiah, it'll really touch you. Let's read what it actually says. Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever and inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. He says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, To to revive, Sandy made notes and and I read them because I just thought it's so interesting. She took the time to look up definitions and references. To revive means to restore life or consciousness, or it can mean to regain life or consciousness or strength. But there's a third meaning, to give new strength or energy to. In this passage in Isaiah, the Lord is saying, that there is new life for those who turn to the Lord in humility and contrition. And there's new strength and power for those who have been walking with the Lord, but now are returning to Him with humility and contrition, acknowledging with contrite hearts and with lowly hearts that we ourselves need His mercy. Oh, I remember, how important Yeshua's words are to us. Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's a message of mercy. We will be shown mercy. We will receive mercy when we show mercy to others. Mishpacha, when you and I want to be God's agents of mercy, even to the guilty ones, even to those who we disagree with, even to those on a totally different wavelength and a different political spectrum than where you find yourself, even those who are religiously not in sync. God wants us to embrace a message of mercy. And not just the message, not just words, but actions as well. Blessed are the merciful, Yeshua says, they will be shown mercy. Now there's one more passage in Isaiah I want to share with you that, that Sandy uh, and I read together thanks to her good studies this week. It's a message of mercy and inclusion that, that we believe is really important for and appropriate for all Messianic congregations, because it focuses on God's desire to save all nations and to include people from many nations into the life of the Messianic community, the community of faith that we're a part of. And so we go back one chapter to Isaiah 56, and we'll look at verses one through eight together. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation, my Yeshua is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps Shabbat without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing evil. And then verse three, it's such and wide open arms that's being shown here such inclusion, such warmth of spirit and generosity to include people. Verse three, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. So if you weren't born Jewish, don't say this. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. If if you haven't been able to bring to fruition that which you want to, Don't consider yourself unfulfilled for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Shabbats, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name that's better than sons and daughters. You may not be able to have children, but God will draw you into his community. You may be blessed by the Lord in a way that's so profound you can't even imagine. The passage goes on, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants all who keep Shabbat without desecrating, it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these, the Lord says, I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares this, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Verse eight that I just read is so important to us. God says to those who have been far away, who have been exiled, those who have lived on the edges of Jewish society, far away from the place of promise. God says, I'm going to gather you, and I'm going to gather others to you, and I'm going to gather you all together. And so from that, we can say, all of us, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, young and old, no matter where you were born, my family is a family of immigrants. Over the generations, thousands of years, we've been immigrants, and we still are. This is a place for all of us together in the community of faith. At this Yom Kippur on this Shabbat Shuva, let's make sure to make room in our hearts for more and more people who turn to the Lord during these important and challenging times. You can be an instrument of God's mercy. You can be someone who brings good news. People are looking for salvation in all the wrong places. You don't have to get caught up in their quarrels if you're an agent of mercy. If you're an agent of God's mercy, if you're someone who wants even your opponents, even those who mistreat you, even those who disagree with you, if you want them to receive mercy, you'll find new ways to speak, to act, and to show the mercy. And as you do that, you know what? Kingdom of God will grow stronger and stronger. Thanks to your faithful service. Thank you for studying with me. And I wanna encourage you to join us tomorrow morning at 1030. And I wanna encourage you as well to join us for Yom Kippur services on Sunday night at 7.30 p.m. and Monday morning at 10 30 a.m. We'll be live streaming on Facebook Live. We'll also be rebroadcasting on YouTube and Facebook afterwards and through our podcasts as well. Well, I want to invite Rabbi Yuri back. He and I are going to do a special uh, Aaron's blessing and then we're going to return to the painter household for a final worship song. Shabbat Shalom Rabbi Yuri. Shabbat Shalom Rabbi David. Before we do this, I do want to encourage you again to stand with us financially. You can go to our website, bethisraelnow.com giving for all the details. So um, join with me for the Hebrew and then the English, and then Rabbi Yuri will lead us in the Russian and the Ukrainian. We've got a Quadruple blessing, a fourfold blessing for you. <laughs> May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Да благословит Тебя Господь и сохранит Тебя, да презрит на Тебя Господь светным лицом Своим, и помилуй Тебя, да обратит Господь лицо Свое на Тебя и даст Тебе мир. Нехай Господь поблагословит тебе, и нехай вин тебе стереже. Нехай Господь засяя на тебе лицем Своим, и нехай буду милостивы до Тебе, нехай Господь зверне на тебе лице Свое, и Хай даст тебе мир. Амен. Amen. Amen. So from Rabbi Yuri and me, from our wives, and Sandy and Rebbitzin Ina, we say Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining us.